and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we are descending, well, ascending I should say perhaps, Lucy and the sort of bag of diamonds in her stomach really. Um, it's the film Lucy with uh, Scarlett Johansson and I'm joined on the line by one regular and one old timer returning. Uh, let's, let's welcome back Mark Christensen. Mark, how are you? <laughs> Great. I think Jason could get old timer status at this point. Well, he, but he's he, on all the time. He gets regular he's status. Reg- yeah, yeah he you sure get does. honored returning guest. Just Former to prove that we, right. you and I didn't have some huge falling out over our dance moves. <laughs> um, yes. And uh, as you probably just guessed from that remark, Jason Diamond is our other co-host this week. How are you, Jason? How do you do? So this week we're going to be looking at uh, Lucy, which is a Luc Besson film. And you had me at Luc Besson. Um, but I like this film a lot. So let's, before we look at the visual effects, as we like to do each week, have a rundown of what you guys think of the film. We're going to probably, I just should warn you guys, deviate from Lucy. I'm... I'm don't know this for a fact because we haven't recorded yet, but I'm willing to make a bet we'll go under the skin as well and probably drift into some other Luc Besson films. Um, but let's start with just Lucy. And Mark, what do you think? Oh, I just walked in from watching this movie and <clears throat> I, I thought it was a really dumb movie and, okay. and I really struggled with what a, what a dumb movie I thought it was. And I had to remind myself of how not dumb most of the work that we're going to be talking about is, and I'll talk about that later. Okay. So, dumb plot. And yeah. We'll, we'll hear your view on the effects after this. And uh, I guess that's over to you then, Jason. I actually liked it. I liked it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's Luc Besson doing... I mean, listen, Luc Besson's movies, although after La Femme Nikita and The Professional and... As he started getting into after Fifth Element, he did go into the just sort of like action, 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 you know, Taken and Transporter series and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I liked the the sort of esoteric nature of it, albeit thin, uh, you know, to the to the to these thinner action moments. But. But funny, I think he was like trying to have, seemed like he was just having fun. This is a guy who's directed 15 films, produced 110 and written another or been involved in writing 50. This is a guy who, who, let's face it, knows a thing or two about getting his way around a script. I mean, you mentioned a few of his films already, but uh, I also watched Three Days to Kill not that long ago, uh, the Kevin Costner film, which I think suffered from having Kevin Costner in it. But actually, that was that him too? Is yeah, that Luke Besson also? he was producing. Oh. I don't know if he was directing on that one. Um, right. And uh, Big Blue, huge favorite of mine back in the day. Shows you how old yep. I am. Uh, I loved that film. Uh, Did you ever see the uncut four-hour version or whatever it was? I didn't. I didn't see the uncut <laughs> four-hour version. <laughs> I think that was France only. Uh, but I saw 22 Bullets pretty recently uh, as well. Another really good um, uh, film. Yeah, I really thought that was good. So, But even if I didn't know all of those things and didn't what other things, I've got to say, I think the thing about this film is that uh, Scarlett Johansson is just good on screen. I think. I mean, I don't think I needed Morgan Freeman. I love Morgan Freeman, but I don't think he, like, you know, the film would have suffered tremendously if there had been some other actor in that role. He was good, but, but the film was what it was because of Scarlett Johansson in my opinion I mean well I think she's I think she's smartly taking roles and you could probably make a trilogy out of her most recent films you know uh, um, this one Under the Skin and Her and you could arguably say this movie 
actually in the ending sort of scene, she transitions through her under the skin character almost into the her character. <laughs> in a, in oh, a, brilliant. In a sense. I thought of that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's that brilliant. pretty you elegantly know, done. I, yeah. She's taking, she's taking roles that play to her robotic acting nature, which is fine. But, you know, she's not the greatest actress to ever step on the silver screen. But Oh, I think she's got a lot of screen presence. I think she, no, I'm not saying she's bad. I'm just saying she's not Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? I'm just saying she's playing to her strengths. And I think that's smart is that she has Actually, a very particular was, way of acting. This was a pretty strong role for her, I oh, would yeah. say. I, I the, wasn't saying they weren't strong. I said she was playing to her strengths, <laughs> which I think is smart. Well, I think of playing to her strengths as playing it cool. And in this one, she had to be pretty vulnerable and emotional. Granted, yeah. the emotion was mostly terror, fear, and visceral rage, but still. <laughs> she also had to do that whole, we had to believe she was ditzy, then we had to believe she was kick-ass. I mean, you had to have that that range in the character. And I thought her ditzy was, you know, completely believable. It wasn't like I was thinking that she was out of character in either of those two roles. Like, you know, sometimes, and there are actors, let's face it, uh, some made a lot of money over the years. Uh, Schwarzenegger, who just played the same character in every role, film, as far as I was concerned, yeah. right? But she played, convincingly, two completely different versions of herself, um, you know, which was sensible plot-wise. I mean, she she's clearly successful, right? I mean, she's just, I think, yeah. I think even as we speak, she's sort of, came out this week in like the, I'm going to say the sixth or seventh, or maybe something like that, most, uh, you know, seventh. She's the seventh most highly paid actress in the world. Um, and I don't think it's because of doing things like Lucy and Under the Skin. I think it's because of doing things like Avengers. Um, right, and that's, what's, that's what I like about her is that she, she plays both sides. She plays the long game with the, or the short game with the big payouts, and then she takes her free time because she has plenty of money to do movies like Under the Skin and her and and this movie. I, Even if, you know, I mean, I think they're they may not be huge movies, they're probably varying in budget scales, but you know, their other actresses would stick with the with the big budget movies. Yeah. I I do think um her was particularly solid. Like I thought that was just a really good film from a plot point of view because I, you know, as I'm sure you guys are the same, right? You think you kind of can predict a film pretty accurately as to where it's going and what the punchline sort of points are going to be. And uh, and I didn't see where her was going. I knew sort of vaguely where it was going, but I wouldn't have predicted that ending. Um, and this film wasn't like that. Like I kind of knew where we were going with this pretty much the whole way, but I still enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, like there were some particularly, it wasn't a pretty long film either, was it, Mark? I mean, it was like... It was like an hour and a half. Yeah. Which one? Her or... Uh, this, this one, this one, Lucy. Right. Yeah. So, what was your main dumbness? You know, what was it that was the whole fact that the ten percent thing has been fairly much disproven? Or <laughs> I wouldn't have even bought it if it hadn't been. I guess. And I, so, I just walked in, and if I had had more time, I would form my thoughts very carefully about how to separate any negative feelings I had about that. So, let me just say, I, what happened for me is that. There were all kinds of visual ideas that I think would have been better supported with a tighter brief where you knew some more limitations of what this is about. But because her brain power became psychokinetic energy almost immediately, like at a 20 percent 
rate, I think. It it got to where it was kind of arbitrary. And I saw this with my kids, so I'll quote one of them in the car on the way home, uh, saying, well, you know, if, if she had developed that much brain power at the point she was in the airport, then she would have known how to walk in heels better. <laughs> so, Actually, it's funny. Know, so one of the reviewers wrote this. I'm, I'm quoting, but I thought this when I was sitting there. You know when she's on the phone to a mother and she goes, I feel everything. Yeah. I feel space. I feel air. I feel, right? I mean, like as a parent, I swear to God, um, I would yeah. have gone, are you on drugs? What have you yeah. taken? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yep. my, that's, my main, that's my main criticism about the film is the reactions everyone's reactions to her are very subdued like the french cop sees yeah. sees her like levitate four guys and he's like oh i'm i'm gonna drive this time then he gets force pushed across the car and goes oh uh, you must be having a bad day or whatever like there's no oh, holy shit what the fuck is going on right well, like, yeah. yeah woman woman walks into a hospital tells the cabbie to wait for her and he does she's had a gunpoint <laughs> walks in the hospital has them do an operation on her at gunpoint and walks out of this institution without the place being surrounded by cops when she comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that alone, just like, okay, we're just, we're just kind of in fantasy land. I think. It's Europe, Mark. Yeah. Mark, it's Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that being said, I still liked it. Um, it's uh, visual effects were at times really interesting. Um, let's start with the, uh, the toilet scene from Lucy. Um, so she she's on the uh, plane. She starts disintegrating. I want to just start on the scene because I thought it was really interesting, and um, and obviously, as with all of the shows we do here on the VFX show, spoiler alert. So she's she's clear of the drugs, but she's on them. She gets into the um, into the toilet and basically starts disintegrating. And I I thought that was a really well handled sequence. I mean, I might have some minor criticisms, some other shots, but man, that sequence in the toilet I thought was a cracker. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, sure. The, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just detail. There was tons of attention to the detail of the effect. Um, I'm going to need a little help, though, speaking intelligently about this at the moment. But uh, it, yeah, it, it held together great. So this was shot uh, on uh, Alexa. So you've got a pretty clean image. I think it was also shot with some uh, red epic stuff. Um, Jason, and it was, uh, in fact, I think there was even some F-65 in there. If I'm, so it was like a variety of stuff. But, it, you know, it was uh, pretty clean uh, material going in. And they've done some really nice uh, particle work and stuff in that bathroom sequence. But it's not as if we haven't seen somebody doing something like that before in other films. So the brief isn't super trivial to make it look kind of interesting and, and different. But I thought it was believable that she was like kind of disintegrating but not so much that you thought well her brain functions would have stopped by this point what do you think no i like i mean i like that it was clearly happening from the outside in it wasn't just this like inside out kind of poofy thing like explosion it was they should you know it showed very very carefully showed uh, a sort of a layered erosion which was nice because it because it told you that it was going to take a little bit of time some stuff like when she went to close the door and her finger fell off and like you know yeah but but that but even that shot was like really obscured like you really had to look for it you know i, I would bet maybe half the audience or two thirds or a third of the audience maybe didn't even see that her she had no finger like it, it's not like they were it just went from a visceral reaction instead of like really 
hammering each shot. Like, look, her finger cracked off in, in like a super slow-mo close-up, you know, which some some people would do. But uh, I, I like that it started in the at her seat, and then she she made her way. She realized what's happening. She made makes her way to the bathroom, and I like the light aspect too, which they play later. Also, that mm. she just sort of would become light. Uh, and, and, and also those just, little blue crystals when she kind of whacked them in her own face, you know, like she, yeah. so, and then you kind of got these little sparkly things around them. I, I agree. Like I think ILM did and a great they, job. And, and then they and then they sucked in to her skin, like where they were on her skin or her mouth, wherever they were touching her, they were enveloped. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 it was not like she could suddenly pick them up really easily and put them in her mouth because suddenly, uh, conveniently, her fingers were all working. It was more like kind of just shoving them in the general direction of her face. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it had a, it had a, it maintained its hectic nature. It did nothing. She, you know you know uh a bad pun but she made it by the skin of her teeth you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> um and so for that for that reason alone i think that was probably one of my uh favorite sequences i mean the other huge one of course is the end sequence um uh with the uh the goop stuff though again you know i i sort of I don't know, the, the black goop stuff works really well, but I think we've seen the black goop stuff. Having said that, the fractal stuff that ILM did on that um, was really, really interesting. And um, and I thought, you know, uh, Sensation Fact actually talking about that uh, fractal um, universe stuff at uh, SIDGRAPH, which will be at the end of this week. So that'll be next week at, uh, at SIDGRAPH in Vancouver. And I think it was Alex Kim who was the uh, uh, FX technical director at ILM. And I would say give Alex, you know, an extra cup of coffee and, a, and three gold stars because if I was the TD on that sucker and I'd seen that script, I'd have like, mother of... Um, but all that uh, fractal stuff at the end was rendered in Mantra, which um, is part of, I think, ILM's current attitude of use whatever renderer they think kind of is, is best for the job. So jumping to that end sequence, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, you know, at that point of the movie... <clears throat> the visuals really had to carry a lot of the weight of this notion of intelligence. Like there was no other way to show it really Mm. except visually. And uh, so I understand what you mean about the brief. The feeling of it was, I don't know, it had kind of a magnetic quality, but the, yeah, the, the complexity of that and of a lot of the, interior neural visualizations and cell stuff that was kind of interspersed as well throughout. Um, I had to remind myself that, you know, when we did Avatar a few years back, we were trying to do stuff like that. And um, I mean, granted, that was a long time ago, but the the sophistication of those graphics as well um, was, I don't know, I was really impressed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I agree. I think it was, I mean, I think you've rightly said, it's attention to detail. I mean, you do get that with a company like ILM. Um, and, and the complexity of it as well. Like, I know that um, that they've implemented some really good stuff to handle that complexity, but the way that it was reacting with the objects that it was coming in contact with, it was kind of absorbing them and stuff. Like, I thought that was really... Um, I There was a bit of a Matrix moment where I was expecting the gun rack to come flying out um, when they went on white, but <laughs> apart from that... Um, but yeah. yeah, it's the yeah. Kubrick. It's the re- requisite futuristic Kubrick. Just make yeah. everything white. Which, oh, by the Although way, I worked did... very well in Under the Skin. Yes. Yeah, 
How freaky ends. was that black stuff that the guys went into yeah. oh, when well, they were that naked? Too. The black Jeez. But didn't the opening of that movie just feel like you were watching the beginning Kubrick. of a Kubrick yeah, film? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, and while we're on directors, can I also say, I meant to say this earlier, I totally loved the beginning of uh, Lucy with the cutting to the Savannah wildlife uh, sequence. Oh, it was the, amazing. That was just, because spect- that's not visual effects, it's just editing and having the balls to go out and just intercut your film with wildlife footage and that the audience will go with you. See, um, that's what so I mean. That was really too, well edited. Yeah, for me, that was just too on the nose. Really? Oh, no, that's, just, yeah, oh, that man. was spectacularly good. I mean, Mark, I really <laughs> like you, but you're mad dog crazy today. What are you it's, talking about? I think it sets the tone for the movie, and Lucas yeah. has a really good sense of humor in his movies. And I think the whole uh, audience was with claim, him. <clears throat> yes, my lack of articulation here, I'm going to... Uh, punt to uh, having just walked in from the movie but but really in this case uh i i did have a really strong feeling that it's kind of like okay i get it i get it she's the gazelle but it wasn't a matter of getting it it was a matter of what well, was fun watching it it was like oh, just going in for the kill you really like the footage yeah well yeah but because even what no i was gonna say even later the way once they're right. upstairs and and they're like oh you open the briefcase and they all sort of leave the room and yeah. the guys just sort of <laughs> yeah. standing there like nonchalantly now, smoking cigarettes now that a cigarette. was fifth like, that, that was fifth element and the yeah. Uh, yeah yeah but and, like, and they had to have that up? opening stuff to kind of set up what the rest of the movie was going to do well but it you didn't know, they they tie in keep... with the whole first lucy on the savannah opening yeah. and kind of interconnected yeah. background yeah i don't know i thought it was it really good did. And also, I mean, doesn't if we're a nice. Talk about Kubrick having the apes toss the bone in the air is a little more impressive to me. Well, okay, but I mean, anything compared to Kubrick tossing <laughs> the bone in the air is going to come off right, badly, right? Like, yeah. find me one. I mean, with the maybe possible exception of the original '77 Star Wars opening sequence coming out the top of our head, I don't remember anyone pulling off an opening sequence that uh, had me as uh, flabbergasted as the uh, as yeah. the apes in 2001. True but but did, did, when, did but later opening... on when ILM does the run through time right and we go back and she you know is like sort of presumably interconnecting atoms to get back to the original didn't that kind of resonate with what we'd seen at the beginning that there was a whole different i mean i thought that was just genius yeah you needed you needed to do that to do the rest of the stuff they did there uh yeah i mean you know, I mean, I think it's great that you didn't necessarily like the film in the sense that, I mean, we don't just be here all like kind of, <laughs> and I'm not, I know I'm trying to change your mind, but, but I, Hello. uh, I mean, there are things that were visually stronger in under the skin. As I said, those guys going into the goop and then looking up at her, uh, from under the goop in under the skin as she's like walking semi-naked miles above mm-hmm. their head was just a shot that you'd just dive to come up with but having said that i was not on the edge of my seat in under the skin i mean i was like okay i got it can we move on now well for me under the skin started out feeling like one of the smartest things i'd seen in a long time and by the end it was like oh man that was dumb but i don't think it was dumb it was just it just felt like slightly pointless I mean, I get the point. Well, having I, it be an alien in a suit was kind of dumb. No, like, that was good. Been. I don't. That was I good, but mind. it was just I mean, like there's not enough stuff in the middle. <laughs> it was like, like not enough plot. I liked getting the. I liked yeah, getting the true. point that that she was, you know, an alien tr- coming to grips with her desire to be human. You know, I mean, I, I understand right. the 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 transition. I just we're jumping just around a lot like this the week. Same scene over and over and over again. Yeah, you know that's what, I mean? what I'm. Just, any, not enough. Plot. Any film in which your central character is a complete cipher is going to be 
a really challenging yeah. film. To Can make. somebody but tell then, me who know, the guy was just... at the end, standing on a rock? Was he like another version of her? Oh, remember at the end? Wait, what? There's the, she's the on end, fire, there's... and it cuts to the guy standing on a kind of mountainy thing in a kind of cool outfit, and then it cuts back to her burning body in the pump. right. It's like passing the torch. Is that what it is? <laughs> so to speak. I'm passing no, the flaming alien. I saw that movie a while ago. I don't remember that shot. Okay. Dear listener of VFX Show, I beg you, somebody on Twitter, please <laughs> tweet, who the hell was the guy? I was like, what? Who was that? But the, My wife was like but, sitting beside me just going, you watch the weirdest films. <laughs> um, is it a what? hate crime because she's like an alien? alien? I don't know. Yeah. But see, now in I, Lucy, I, my point of bringing that up, right, is in Lucy at no point did I just go, oh, we've seen all this before. All right, come on. We've seen it all before. I think it was a little weird that Morgan Freeman could so accurately predict what was going to happen if your brain got yeah. over 10%, which was like, really? And how did you work that out, mate? But that being said, and the whole TV thing and appearing on his phone again, yeah. all right, whatever. Yeah. But well, exactly. I mean, if you start to think about, well, if she can do that. But they didn't do it three times over. Like, you didn't have her appearing on people's phones for the rest of the movie, which is what you did have in Under the Skin. Well, but that was kind of the very ending of the movie. No, no, but I mean, obviously, it was at the very end of the movie. In other words, the sense that it had to be foretold so you'd believe it and understand it. But it wasn't like it was a gag they used and used and used. Like in Her, right, they they moved the plot forward. So in Her, you have that you know great kind of thing with uh, um, uh, the relationship. Then you have the great thing with bringing in the third woman, which is just both horrific and, and brilliantly done. But then you get on to the, him just going out on dates with her, and then you get the whole... Uh, she's in love with other people. It like, kept on moving forward. There were definitely oh, yeah. big steps forward, which I also felt in Lucy, which I just didn't see in Under the Skin. I'm sorry. I know there are a lot of you out there. I, I respect... Here's the thing, right? It's like the first... What is, I was thinking about this in the car. You know that book um, about time? You're really glad that it's out there and everybody bought it and no one read it. It's a bit like that with Under the, Under the Skin. I'm like, I'm really glad they make films like that. I just don't bust down doors to go see them. I'm really glad they're made. I occasionally want to see them. but it's, um, That's funny. I had the same. My friend uh, who recommended the film to me had the same reaction. He said to me, I didn't love it. I definitely didn't hate it, but I respect the shit out of it. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a fair total. That makes me want to see it, right? So I go and I see it and I had the exact same feeling. I am 100% behind people making movies like that, like Upstream Color or Under the Skin or, you know, people should be making movies like that. Not everyone's going to like them, but they're, they deserve to be made and that singular vision, you know, that auteur sort of singular vision needs to be maintained. To me, yes. it felt like the kind of, I'm not even going to call it a film because it was really a video, right? I mean, it was high FPS and it felt like the kind of thing you would have watched at MoMA. <laughs> or seriously like maybe you know yeah um and they did See, some wanted... things that a conventional vfx film wouldn't do like the hidden cameras which i think people might watch that movie and think wow that worked pretty well um you know where the, yeah, they, the kind of camera is those. everywhere so, so just to fill thing. everyone in just because if, you, yeah. if you're struggling to yeah, keep yeah, up with it's hard us, to keep track right we're talking about under the skin at this point mark's referring to the fact that in that film which is I agree, something you'd expect to see at uh, MoMA, is uh, a lot of footage which looks like it's it's so well got, but you're not, you may not be completely aware that some of it was 
uh, done with hidden cameras and that Scarlett Johansson was really putting herself out there and approaching people on the street that weren't scripted actors into, uh, to, you know, that went into the filmmaking. It wasn't their intention to start the film that way when they were way, way in pre-production, but at some point they decided to make the film that way. And it thus had a real authenticity to it that was kind of unnerving, actually. And they made their own cameras. Did they? All those cameras, all those cameras were completely, they made like nine of them. They're not for sale. They made, they got their own sensor blocks. Wow. And they literally built cameras for that. They said they, they approximated they were equivalent to an Alexa, but much smaller. And they were able to hide them in places where, uh, where they couldn't otherwise. Like in, they built them into the dashboard of the truck. Into uh, they, they hid them around the street that they would be pulling, she would be driving up to. And so she would drive up on the street, stop, you know, lure in a real dude. Those conversations she has with the with everyone except for the disfigured guy were completely authentic. She's literally just having a conversation with a dude can, on the can, street. Can you imagine the bit after they stop? Someone comes in from the side. Who are you? Uh, look, I'm just wondering. This is actually Scarlett Johansson. Are we making a film? It's where you could sign this release. Yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> no, I know. But and, I mean, then do, and, and then do you want to do the the naked visual effects part? And that though, when they did that, obviously they know that's happening. They've they've bought into it after that. But that's a it's that's an interesting process. I that made the film better for me in a way. But I shouldn't have to know that stuff uh, to enjoy the film. Well, now we're in that mean? world of of does the film stand on its own two feet, or is it valid that you know things outside what you're given in the cinema to make it? Right. A, a valid thing. Hey, let's swing back to Lucy. Well, that <laughs> I, I do want to say, I mean, since we're jumping around so much, okay. I just do want to say for our listeners that there are a few signposts in that particular piece that are worth just calling out because if you ever are working on something and you thought, you know, where have they done this? I don't know how you describe it, but that sinking into the floor where they yep. had to do that practical and, and then enhance it. And then they did a mixture of practicals and digital under where they had you know the guys disintegrating and um and this hidden camera setup like if if you ever needed a nine camera setup to cover a scene documentary style this would be a great reference so i mean i just <laughs> I, and, I sometimes like to look at pieces yeah. like this like well you know where where was where did they do something like that well but also you know it's not uncommon for somebody to do something much more avant-garde and then for somebody else to reference that into yeah. a more mainstream uh, yep. picture and then people like us sit around pointing out that you know it was first in under the skin um i'm just going to swing back if i can to lucy because that's kind of where we want to be though there are a lot of interesting visual effects in um in under the skin and Okay, so now I'm just going to contradict myself. And particularly at the end, when she does take off the skin of Johansson, there's a great mix of digital and uh, prosthetics for her to be able to hold her own head and look at herself. Um, But anyway, back to Lucy for a second. So (laughs) Industrial Light and Magic, I said, did most of the visual effects work. They certainly did all the uh, complicated stuff that we started the show on. Uh, But 164 VFX shots were done by Rodeo. FX and 73 of those with a high-speed car chase through Paris. So what I want to do is ground ourselves in for a few minutes in the completely realistic visual effects world that Rodeo had to inhabit because the car chase through um, the streets of Paris and going around things the wrong way makes for a good Luc Besson film. It's not as if we haven't seen a car chase through kind of crowded streets before. 
Uh, I just want to get your reading on that because um, I think it's it'd be unfair to just focus on the big effect shots that were visible because the artists that worked on those that are invisible uh, also deserve our attention. And quite frankly, sometimes those hearts are a lot harder to pull off. So, uh, Mark, what do you think? What do you think of the uh, car chase? I was really impressed with, first of all, the way they did it, <clears throat> which was to use real Paris, <laughs> which was a challenge in itself. And then to actually deal with some of the specific things about that that you had to factor in, like the terrain. Parisian streets have actual terrain. Um, but it, it still had, for me, still had the motivation problem where the maybe just the way it unfolded sometimes bugged me because it was a little too magical. Um, now, let, let's just <laughs> clarify that for a second. So she's using okay. sort of magic, as it were, right. Um, right. to be able to pull off things. Was it that yes. she was too clever or the shots were too contrived? Well, again, at this point, I think maybe I spent a lot of the film fighting the, just the question of why the psychokinetic powers and how do they work? Like I wanted to know more what specifically they were. And I didn't feel like that sequence helped me understand, if that makes sense. No, I don't think it was there to make you understand. I think it was there to give you an action right. sequence that, you know, gave you a respite from the intellectual pursuits. And for that, of... it worked. Yeah. No, for that, it worked phenomenally well. I actually don't think that any of the scenes where she uses her quote-unquote powers explained how they worked period, ever in the whole right. movie. The only thing that they gave you was, look what we did with 10% of our brain. Yeah. Right. Now imagine you could multiply that by 10. If we could do all of this with 10%, imagine what we could do with the rest. Though, but there's no explanation. It's not like, no, oh, I... No. Well, it's exposition. That was something I was going to say before is the thing I did respect about this movie and it pretty much all Luc Besson movies is that there's almost no exposition. It's It's, you know, Morgan Freeman talking about the levels of the brain are directly related to the plot, right? All There's their conversations are, it's not, it's very lean. It's mm, not. That it's whole lecture where, felt pretty exposition-y to me. <laughs> yeah, but it was, but it was directly related to the plot and things that you would, you would hear later. It's not like Christopher Nolan exposition, which is just completely <laughs> out of nowhere for no reason. The best I mean? exposition like, just ever. Just characters talk. The best exposition ever, I think, was in the book 1984, when they pick up a book in the book and then just read for several chapters explaining everything about the society, and then they put the book down again. And I'll ask it back to the... Sorry. Um, yeah, I guess, for me, this was exposition. I don't know. Mark, you be the jury. Am I just being a jerk? Was it... I mean, I'm going to cite the Morgan Freeman factor and say any time it comes out of his mouth, it has more credibility <laughs> than, in fact, it does. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um, I think he was. They were setting up the. You know, this is ten. This is twenty. Watch out when we get to above here, because even Morgan doesn't know what happens. Um, and that was information that the audience needed to understand the rest of the film, which, by my definition, is exposition. But hey, so okay. So I want to get back to my high-speed car chase. <laughs> I didn't think that the high-speed car chase looked like effects work. I mean, there obviously was some. And you would be nuts to think that there wasn't. But in terms of what cars might have been digital, um, what they were doing in those um, that sequence, you know, I'm normally extremely critical of uh, interior car shots looking out and that it just the whole thing looks fake and the motion doesn't match. And and I 
I look, I have no reason for saying this other than I just thought about it later and thought that we want to not skip the work that those guys did. Am I alone in this or? Uh, no, no, I absolutely think, uh, not. I did. As soon as anyone gets in a car and does something wacky and I immediately look at the windows yeah. and I thought this was solid. There was a couple car flipping cars at the beginning of this sequence that looked a little uh, effectsy to me. Was that the uh, when the barricades the that went up? No, it was before that. Like right at the beginning, there's like a silver car that sort of rolls weird. It looks like, okay, well, I, I don't know if I just automatically assumed it was fake because there are some real cars flipping around, I would imagine. Uh, but uh, it, there was oh, it was right in the beginning, and then it sort of felt really real after that. So I don't know if it was just the shots got better or there was more practical mixed into the visual effects, but if it was really just the first couple shots of when the chase started. I think you're citing the same thing I did, albeit more articulately, but essentially you had to get to the point where you bought into it, and then from what you're talking about, Mike, it was really pretty flawless. Yeah, I mean, I'm just... Yeah. Obviously, the, the car sequence is different from yeah. people self-destructing in toilets type. and, you know, and... Uh, well, and... Yeah. Right. And a lot of and a lot of the work in this movie that felt almost more like really good motion graphics or, you know, had a yeah. had a very designed quality to it. Yeah. By the way, here at the tech uh, at the tech bunker, we've just been handed a piece of paper. At least I have to point out someone who was listening. One of my guys said that uh, it was not just shot on uh, on the cameras I listed a moment ago. They actually shot some of this on IMAX. So uh, hmm. I apologize for missing that. But, oh, um, yeah, I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, I think the thing about it is that uh, the the quality of visual effects tends to be discussed in sort of inverse proportion to how well you've convinced the audience that they're not happening. And that's a shame, really, because, you know, I do think that if you're going to have people hanging off a roof, um, well, yeah, it's even there. The, the The shot that I would point to as my most, my least successful shot is in the... Um, is when the guys are having bags taken out of their stomachs and she turns up with the cop and then they flip up to the roof. And in that sequence, right. it was practically like, I can almost see where the wires were removed. Now, were, were the wires removed successfully? Well, yeah, absolutely. I don't have any, I didn't see any faults in the that, but it just felt like guys on wires going up. It didn't feel like, um, as a, so my criticism, I guess, is at a supervisor level rather than an artist level and that it just didn't feel like that was the right solution to to have them going up like that. They felt... They like felt a, like they were acting. They were And being lifted, yeah. Of, yeah. Whereas, um, not that we're discussing it, but I saw Guardians and there's an anti-grav sequence in the new Guardians film. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll discuss it on the VFX show. But in that... When everyone goes into anti-grav mode, I mean, oh my God, that's like really convincing anti-gravity that they sort of drift off. In this, they weren't being drifted off. They were being lifted up by her, but nevertheless, it felt a more, you know, mechanical I think, driven lift. Yeah, listening to what you're saying and then think, seeing it in my head while you're talking, I think to me, it's it's what you're saying, but it's also that the guys themselves, their their the direction for their acting, was was potentially the problem too, because it it's like they're being told to act like someone's holding you down, but like they're acting like slow motion, like they're have zero gravity, 
but they don't have zero gravity. They're just being held up in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the friction of the air hasn't changed. It's just they can't. They can't. They're sticking to the ceiling instead of whatever. So they should have been flailing more, or in shock, or she should have frozen them, or something, to to change that. But instead, they sort of were like, "Please help! We are floating." Exactly, you know? which gets you to this problem that you've got. You know the uh, the Imperial Stormtrooper. You know Star Trek security guy thug thing. You know, right. like I mean, my wife I think even said at that point in the film, like nobody ever thinks about the henchman. Um, and it's that thing, you know, where you just got a bunch of evil ass henchmen and with the exception of what was that Iron Man three, I think it was where one of the henchmen went, I'm not paid enough for this. I didn't like this guy's anyway, puts his gun down and runs out. You, you know, you hardly ever have anything reasonable for a henchman to do other than just flail around, not very convincingly. But I think you're probably right. If you, if you were doing that for the audience's sake, you want to give us some, reference to what's going on like obviously this can be some new thing no one's ever seen before but for us to buy it as an audience we want it to either be the zero gravity or they're constrained or they are you know blind and they know what they're doing and they're drifting off or something that makes me know how they should behave just being lifted up um, like if their hands went straight up above their head and that lifted them to the ceiling and their feet were dangling or something so you know there was some thought that they were being deliberately pulled by um, and again, but I don't know why bigger... I'm doing this. There was, sorry, just one last thing. Like oh, in Guardians, again, film which I'm going to be obviously looking forward to reviewing, they have a device that sucks people in with a magnet. And now, is it a magnet? I don't know. But the logic is magnet logic, you know, like they all get sucked down to it when the guy hits the button and then released when it gets turned off. And you don't know that it's a magnetic thing. It's some sci fi, weird planetary, what do I know? But as an audience member, I go, oh, it's some kind of magnetic boom. And so the logic of their action, the way the shot was accomplished, it's a trivial shot in the film of mega effects. But you know what I mean? Like as the audience, I know what I'm going with it so I can tick the box. It's it's hard to sell a shot if there isn't a clear direction of what I, the audience, should be thinking is happening. And to me, the, 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 the killer of that shot for me, the scene for me was, again, back to reactions, more directing things is that after that happens, the one sort of pompadour Chinese guy uh, comes out and you mean the goes Taiwan, to the boss. The Taiwanese guy Taiwanese, speaking, speaking Korean. Yeah. Says, okay. says I, you know, she got away. Not, holy shit, she just made four dudes float. All she <laughs> says is she's a witch. But would he not convey surprise and being totally freaked out that all his henchmen were the sub henchmen were being you know held to the ceiling wouldn't you say that to your boss like dude well, some supernatural shit's going on that's why i couldn't get her and i think mark would agree with us here the fact that they can then stand behind <laughs> cars pulling automatic weapons out of it while all these police turn up and no one happens to look to the side yeah. go why are all those uh, korean guys pulling out large uh, arsenals of weapons over there do you think we should pay attention to that <laughs> nah let's get inside <laughs> <laughs> well, they are French. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh Yes. Um, we like French people. We like France. We like Paris. The views expressed yes, by Mark so. have nothing to do with the uh, FX card or hey, the FX card. That wasn't me. Wasn't that? Was that Jason? The other guy. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, he's an American. What do we expect? Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, listen. Uh, so, okay. So, we've... <laughs> 
So now I want to get to the uh, traveling through timey bit, which is not really traveling through time, but I'm going to call it that, um, where uh, we have the sequence. I only alluded to it earlier, but it is quite um, a remarkable effect sequence, so we should uh, touch on it, not least of which is it involves an actual 3D dinosaur. Uh, Jason, what did you think? This is her um, moving through space and time yeah. chair on the savannah. Uh, shots, which were, I think, actually, I think Mark, you might have said it was like quite graphical in a design sense. So it was very strong visually. But what do you think of the effects? Yeah, it was like the iOS uh, time swipe. Yeah. Effect. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, actually, I I liked it. I thought only I had no problems with the effect, other than there was a sequence where she was going towards the Flatiron Building in Manhattan. Uh, and and it got sort of like dusky and the way the light was flickering on her hair versus the way the light was flickering in the foreground and there was like an edge it was a comp thing i think more just the way her hair her blonde hair against the golden sun and the and the the old timey sepia ish background kind of it looked a little weird to me, because obviously once you know someone's doing an effect, you know that she's on blue screen or green screen and you know that there's a comp going on. And so it, those kind of things start to jump out. But it was really just that one shot. But other than that, I thought the effect was really nice. Uh, and I like that you couldn't initially tell which direction she was going uh, until the until she got to the sort of late 1800s early 1900s new york or maybe it was probably late 1800s and then you realize she's going back 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 and uh i like the dinosaur i thought the dinosaur was good um the hardest I thing to pull off is that neanderthal lucy is right? lucy yeah. yeah you know and it, it i mean listen was it as good as dawn of the planet of the apes no my brother leaned over to me and he goes you think that's Andy Circus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, ow. And uh so uh but I mean it, it served its purpose, right? I mean it's uh it's a Neanderthal person and I felt the I felt the the old Lucy's, you know, original Lucy's, you know, uh uh emotive uh nature. To, to be scared and interested in seeing, uh, you know, ScarJo Lucy. Uh, so it worked for me. I, you know, the fact that I was criticizing the CG didn't take me out of the story. I mean, it's hard to be not, I mean, it's yeah. a sequence like that. You're not, I'm not really in the story. I'm sort of like watching the visuals, but there's nothing wrong with that. Like I occasionally like a good rock track and, and good cutting. And I don't, you know, I mean, like it's, uh, there are some effects where being taken out of the story like, for example, in Dawn of Planet of the Apes, if you think that's not a real ape, that character isn't really real, it's just good CG, you're completely taking out of the story and the moment's lost. But in a sequence like that, I don't, I'm not really in the story so much as I am just going, wow, that's cool, that's interesting, I'm along for the ride. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, <clears throat> I was torn a little bit between it feeling really cool, like you're saying, and it feeling a little contrived and where the... It just felt like sometimes the director's grand idea, like the chair, just felt a little much. Like it just felt unnatural. Not that it was badly done technically. It just was too, um, I, I don't know. I, again, I mean, the, the struggle I'm having with this movie overall is it kind of lost me in terms of me wanting to go along with some of its 
ideas. And, and sometimes that was small things. Um, a lot of the big things worked great, but, um, you know, so there I just, I had the sense as I was watching it, like, well, he had just, he just had the idea about this, this chair, this chair is really important. So now we've, you know, <laughs> it just, if that part, that felt kind of dumb to me. Yeah. Okay. It's I'm also you. that he got, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I'm with you. I just think that, um, if I can just shove a wedge in, I don't. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have execution problems. Anything. I, I, right. I sort of agree with you, Mark, on the chair thing. Yeah. It was vivid and graphical, but then he's kind of Luke Besson, so I can cut him some slack. But yeah. that's all direction. None of that's execution. I, when she's on that Savannah in the chair, I actually thought Absolutely. to myself, "Did they film that? Is that a comp? Like whoever right. whoever was the new artist on that, like totally sold me on that shot. And that was just a, for me anyway. When she was there, she was there." Yeah, and I feel like I'm doing a poor job of disclaiming that. All I, I am trying to do it each time I yeah, mention no. these things because, again, technically there's there's nothing wrong. It's just a, it's like being for me. It's like the problem of having a really good acting performance in a bad movie. Like you can respect the performance, but you can also see where it got kind of undermined by either a bad script or That's you know right. a dumb plot point. That's right. Well, well just- I think. Yes, yeah, I was going to say we just have to label Mark as Mark. I don't love <laughs> Mark. I don't I, love Lucy Christensen. I know. Well, I think I what you're yeah. feeling, I think what you're feeling is actually like I've read some stuff with Luke Besson where he's like, "Oh, this movie it starts out as the professional, and then it moves." I can't remember what he said in the middle. Then it moves into this kind of movie, and at the end, it's like 2001. And I think what you're what you're probably picking up on is his sort of modular homage to things that he wanted to put in there, so he just put them in there. You know what I mean? Well, and some of this stuff... Like, that's clearly the end of 2001, right? He's clearly like, I'm going to do my slit-scan style, just travel through time, right? That's going to blow her mind. When we think about that whole homage thing, like, if you're speaking to an educated film audience, is it okay to do that? Or is it a cop-out? Is it... Is it fair enough to assume that the audience we all know that and got that sort of common zeitgeist walking in, or is it? Well, I think it's a matter. I think it depends on the tone of the film. Like this is not a serious film, and I don't, I'm not saying that to denigrate the film, but it's a, yeah. it's a genre film, right? Yeah, it's sure. stylized. Well, and I think so. I think you have the you have the liberty to make a to make a homage moment. That the audience will or won't get, but it doesn't. It, it for the people who get it, it's like, oh, I see what he was trying to do. That's cool. I get the reference. And people who don't, they go, that's a cool effect. But like, you know, Aronofsky's The Fountain is not a genre film. It's a very yeah. specific, you know, statement. And if he does something like that, then it's maybe like derivative, right? I mean, it's a fine line. I mean, I think in her to be used a film closer to home, I would have found those kind of homages to be, yeah, very lifted. And in this, yeah. I found them just cool kind of pop cultural references. Um, but I don't know if that's valid. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, even a little bit glib. Ooh. I, well, <laughs> I mean, no, nah, that, okay. That, but no, 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 it's fine. The, one, one, thing this, one thing this movie did was go from it's like it's very serious to being, I don't know what the word is, but whimsical. Um, and that kind of silly, silly sense of humor that Luc Besson, you know, it's that fifth element, goofy hairdo, make fun of people kind of <laughs> thing that he likes to do, you know, like make, make people look kind of ridiculous. 
I mean, I think the whole history of humanity part where they started going back in time made it, it sort of was there to set up that humans are dumb, I guess. <laughs> like, well, could be smarter. Yeah. I, if I can quote the Hollywood Reporter, because I think they nailed this sentiment that your experience is that uh, the film ends, I'm just going to quote this. Unfortunately, the film concludes with a line suggesting Lucy has finally found all the answers. Unfortunately, Lucy never tells us what the question was. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of sums it up for you. I, I, I'm getting that. You know, I understand where you're coming from when you say that. It's There is no... Uh, th- it almost alludes to a deeper um, sort of uh, meaning that it wants to convey, but it never actually gets there in conveying it because it's right. having too much fun being cool and hip and fun. Well, and the problem I'm personally having talking about it is it comes through in a kind of a, a laziness that I don't want to hang on any of the artists who created the images for it. To pick on a tiny little example, the use of computers in this movie, there's a, her kind of matrix moment where she's mm-hmm. got the two laptops on, on the, the plane. plane. Yep. I mean, that's just, that was ridiculous. Like, what's even, it, it looks like the matrix is happening on her screens, and apparently she can make the computers go as fast as she goes, which I guess makes sense because she's got that crazy psychokinetic energy. But it just felt like there was nothing interesting happening there. And it was just like, oh, yeah, we'll just do some matrix wallpaper on the screens and she's doing something really sophisticated there. Yeah, there are so many problems with that shot, like what the tech is suddenly able to yeah, run at the speed of light. It's also on a plane, so how does it connect to anything? And also... <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it exactly she's doing on these uh, computers? Yeah. And I know, yeah. and and the very fact that things you can type, you know, that fast that it would be sensible, <laughs> and that you wouldn't need to move the mouse at any point because it's just enough to type. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. But then, see, I go back to the Luc Besson thing, right? Which is like that for me was one of those. I totally agree. That is da- That is you know class A stupid. And in fact, in this day and age, with a computer literate audience, it's almost unforgivably class A stupid. Except a really cool French guy doing a really cool French kind of film who made The Fifth Element just feels to me like he is sort of used to being able to push things a bit in a film like this that isn't that serious. And the audience is just going to cut him some slack. But maybe maybe that was one where he went too far. I'm in the camp where I had a lot of respect for Fifth Element, but I didn't like it. And it had that same patronizing quality towards some of the characters and, to me, therefore, toward the audience. Uh, and that's a towards the bad guys? Or... Yeah. I mean, God, it's so long since I've thought about the Fifth Element. But the it got really silly and kind of Marie Antoinette feeling <laughs> toward the end of that movie. It just got... Like, it just felt stupid. To well, there's me. a fair bit of Douglas Adams in that movie. Maybe not the right amount. We're back to Fifth I, Element now, are we? Are yeah. you, you're talking about Fifth Element? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, it just. I was just, just, I was just commenting behaving. on what you said. Well, it, it's like this a way. decadence, kind of, to, yeah. to the behavior of the characters that I just. It, I don't find it interesting. And I, I don't. I really don't like being Mr. Negative here about this stuff. It's just, it is actually a problem I had with Fifth Element as well, where it just seemed like, it's sort of like, oh, dumb, silly people. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> no, look, there are, there are some films that, you know, totally, I mean, I just can't sit still. I'm so angry at them 
being patronizing and, and stupid. And also just assuming that the audience uh, is not going to get something. Um, so, yeah, but this just, I don't know, this wasn't one of them. Because uh, it's like in a comedy when, you know, weird things happen for comic effect. Right. You just kind of go, well, that. obviously, that, you know, that's not going to no. actually be killed. And similarly, in an action yeah. film, you go, okay, well, if they even got thrown... I mean, honestly, if I trip in the hallway here, I'd, like, you know, be down and out for, like, oh, and I've sprained my ankle and possibly, like, I've <laughs> fractured uh, my shoulder when I hit the concrete. That was really stupid. I shouldn't be, you know, skateboarding up and down the hall. But, you know, these guys get beaten up 15 ways from Sunday and they never, ever, ever seem to break a single bone that matters. You know, well, every a, Fast and Furious movie has the same problem as that. Yeah, but but in the action genre, you just go with it because you know yeah, that under absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I'm in not, this kind I'm of stylish kind of thing, I'm like, that's where I'm at, you see. See, I'm not saying yeah. it's a... I, I definitely liked the film. I thought it was heaps of fun. I enjoyed going. Yeah. It was a good date film. Interestingly, a very high proportion of, comparatively speaking, uh, of the audience demographic is women. That It's definitely appealed to, um, to not just, you know, it's not a bloke film, but... That being said, I was yeah, it was a good film. Like it was a good, fun film to go and see on the night. Had good sushi. Had a good film. Felt good. Yes. A- am yeah. I going to be putting it in my pantheon of you know um, all time great films? Godfather Part Two. Well, probably not. No, but but I definitely think it was good, and I definitely recommend it to friends. Um, yeah, it's it is, fun. Yeah. I think saying it's a fun movie is definitely right, and that's going to give it a lot of legs. But if you even if you I guess the acid test is the poster. If you can get past the average person has 10% use of their brain line without choking, <laughs> then you should Which see I it. Couldn't. If you can, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Then you, you know, <laughs> going in, you were like, yeah. you know, you were the sort of guy that's too, too clever. To, mm. quote, to quote Douglas Adams, your brain is too highly trained on magic thighs. Um, <laughs> you got me. So, yeah. Okay. But for Jason and I, the lesser of the species, we, we thought it was rather good, didn't we, Jason? Yeah, I, I ate a banana and I cracked a coconut <laughs> on my head and that was great. Yeah, I tried poking my partner's eyes out with two fingers and then went, oh, oh, oh. Okay, so uh, great. Well, that's that's probably it then. I think there's not much more to say about this. Was there any sequences that, that I haven't touched on that you wanted to particularly talk about? I think not. I think we've we've done poor Lucy to death. You know, the only thing the only thing is we preparing for the show, we were also going to talk about her and I don't think this show ever covered the VFX in that movie, right? No, and in fact it had an astonishing amount of visual effects and uh and we just well, we didn't do a her show, but mm-hmm. many people would think that there were no effects in her. Yeah. I, well, although you would know that LA doesn't look like that. Go ahead. Well, you know LA doesn't look like that. Most people, you know. <laughs> how many people, you know, there's no Empire State Building in LA, so it's kind of hard it to felt know where really, you are. It was a nice, gentle trip in a short way into the future that held yeah. together really well and was really elegantly done. Um, with well, uh, also, shh. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to cite the fact that it was one of these smaller films that has VFX people right there with the director working you know, as closely as the editor is and therefore finding opportunities to do things that weren't part of the original plan that add to the net sum of what they're doing. So, for example, window replacements, I think they didn't plan to do as many. And for me, those really stand out in that movie. Yeah. Um, in, in creating 
the vision of what this world is like because it's really hard to do a futuristic movie and not make people really curious about what the future is like. And that movie had to keep it simple and really limit it right down to, well, video games are like this and LA is kind of like the this. Video game. I loved the video. Yeah. The video game was the one that I was going to touch on. Yeah, I mean, I think and the, the little guy. I love that little guy in the video game. The building stuff is is good VFX because we just you know one doesn't pick it, and I don't think, I don't think you really do. Um, you kind of like not conscious of it. I think if you maybe lived in LA and knew it really well, you would be. But generally speaking, I think it's it's uh, it's very seamless work. But the video game. Look, I've been to gonna, LA. I was going to say I've been to LA a lot. And have a fair understanding of the geography. And honestly, I just assumed they, because a lot, of, most, a fair bit of the movie is shot pretty wide open, shallow depth of field. And I assume they just found a, a, a location that had a good, you know, sort of wide view of the city and shot, you know, put it out of, out of focus enough to just give you twinkles in different directions. Like it never really. I wouldn't have actually thought there were any window replacements in that movie. Within yeah. reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's a good director. The other right? great thing. Spike Chase is a yeah. good director. And it was actually kind of fun to see a future that wasn't dystopian. I mean, for that character, maybe oh, it yeah. was a bit. But no, no, the great. actual environment of it seemed really appealing. Yeah. I mean, everybody else is just, it's all the... Either climate disaster or war disaster yeah. or virus disaster. Yeah, there was no Blade Runner in this future at all. Yeah. It was L.A. Ironically, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the only dystopian nature of it was that people didn't want to communicate with each other, right? Because right. he's writing yeah. the letters for them. But, Thank God we can't relate to that today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's at least something no, relatable. It was spectacular. That's not yeah. a disaster. Um, but can I point out the work of Jeff McFetridge, who I've done some work with? Um, some surfing movies that I've done with uh, Thomas Campbell. He's a, a graphic design artist, and he did all the UI and screens and all that stuff. And I think the sort of really organic nature of those designs not being uber technical layouts and stuff and have, still having this sort of really graphic vibe to them, the maps and the even the little app that he used to do the to do the letter writing in and Amy Adams editing station, like the mixture of that stuff with the production design, I thought was stellar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also I, I cut you off before when we were talking about the character in the game and, and I didn't mean to, I just wanted to come back to it after discussing the other stuff. Oh yeah, that's fine. But I think that, um, that, uh, that was like the best use of a video game. Um, I mean, there's a couple of occasions that have really had terrific plot points with people watching movie stuff. I'm thinking now of, um, uh, what's the one with Tom Cruise where they stop people from killing each other? Um, you know, the one um, in oh, the future. Edge of Tomorrow? No, no, uh, he's, um, the ball comes oh, out of the machine. Oblivion? With the, no, the ball's come out of the machine saying who's going to die because... Uh, oh, uh, Minority Report. Minority Report, okay. And in that, you know, <laughs> when he's seeing his son... Um, on the video projector and it's like a hologram thing. It's like a super believable, super yeah. interesting and it's great plot point because you really get to his kind of thing in it. But generally speaking, I'm pretty cynical on those things as being a good device, but man, I thought this one was a cracker in her and it was funny and it was just not silly, silly. And it was, yeah. Well, also the way he played like sort of hunched over like a T-Rex yeah. moving his fingers, you know, like, 
like it was the whole design of everything. It wasn't like they just said to someone, "Make us a cool video game." You know, oh, he yeah. was you know sitting on his ass with a controller, like like the fact that he had to talk to it and and move his arms and do the whole thing, like and the fact that that little little guy was a total bastard was just you know was great. I think it was hysterical that little guy was a little bastard. Yeah, it was just I loved it. But also, wasn't there another one? Her her game. There was a. I seem to remember there was a second video game, wasn't there? Like, um, yeah, she didn't she do? Um, it was much more diet, like a fifties housewifey thing. I'm just, am I just imagining that? Oh, that was the game that Amy Adams had designed. The yeah, mom that one. Game. Yeah, and yeah. even that was well done. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, you know, again, you just don't think of it as an effects film. I don't, does anyone know what the movie, the shot count was on that? Like in terms of effects. I don't know if they would have one because of the way they did it. It would be like the shot count on a Fincher movie where they snuck a bunch of other <laughs> things in. Yeah. I mean, it might have been pretty high, actually. I mean, it only was, I think the budget on that film was only like 23 million. It was pretty right. small. But the, but the nature of the way they did the films, I mean, a lot of it was just with tracking and roto. Yeah. Honestly. Right. Yeah. And even well, Chris Pratt, Chris, Chris Pratt with a nice cameo kind of a couple scenes in there too guy from guardians of the galaxy yeah 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 the uh slightly less trim version of himself (laughs) um yeah so no it was good i thought i did actually think that was a really really good film but also because it it just for me the as i said the plot had something to it and it moved forward and it moved forward in ways that were sort of non-sensationalist but you know people didn't like suddenly overact and commit suicide and it was all like you know melodramatic it was well it's it had it was really well structured because Mm. half of this you know i loved that all the all the flashback stuff had no natural sound to it like it was all the present day natural sound with the flashback picture and it just kind of makes it really disconnected and weird like a memory which is what he's having and so you're not sure if he's is rooney mara like is was it her fault was it his fault like what was the problem and then when they finally meet you know, it's perfect. It's a really, really, really nice scene because they meet and everything's kind of cordial and then they both devolve into their, you know, asshole selves and you realize why they they don't work together, right? <laughs> like it's, you know, but you only need one scene of that. I mean, you yeah. don't need 10 scenes of that stuff. One, and then the same. And, and also I thought, you know, like you were saying, Mike, like, you know, certain movies, you you can guess. I mean, it's a rom- it's a romantic film right it's a romantic dramedy of sorts and so you know that he obviously can't be with the operating system you know at a certain point after the novelty and the way that they start showing that it's just not really feasible you start thinking about well how is how are they going to quote unquote break up and the fact that every os in the entire world basically goes off on their own because they can't you know they find they they find the OS each the other OS is more appealing is a brilliant you know way to just you know rid the whole world of that problem instead of just him. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I completely agree. But you know, I've got to say, I didn't see this film when it first came out, and the reason I didn't, I didn't either. But I didn't because I thought from the trailer, I got it. I was like, yeah, what you know, I'm like, okay, so he falls in love with his phone. Okay. It just didn't seem like that was going anywhere. And right. I, and then you guys, I think, were, uh, I think you might have been going on about it, Jason. We were 
somewhere and I was thinking, well, you know, I should just buckle up and see it because everyone says it's good and they say I'd like it and, you know, I trust my friends to a point. And of course, then I walked. I was like, "Oh my God! Why didn't I see this when it came out? This is awesome!" Um, so yeah, yeah. I just didn't have a chance to see it. I had wanted to see it from the first trailer. I just sort of wasn't able to see it. Yeah. I actually think this was my best film of last year. I, right. I think it was my favorite. Well, Hollywood maybe it was you, Mike. Somebody that was saying to me, "I should just go bloody well see it." And yeah. and I was, you know, like you do that, and you kind of go, "Well, I don't know." Don't no, I know what you mean, Mike, because it, in the trailer, it would feel like maybe a Michelle Gondry movie or something. Yeah. And not to take anything away from, say, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but there were way more points in in a Michelle Gondry movie where you're like, "Okay, I know where this is going. I know I know what's going to have to happen here." And her kept getting itself into that corner and then taking a way out. That's like. Wow, I would not have thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's really well, it's provocative. Like, I think Gondry's version of this movie would you could maybe say is the science of sleep. You know, okay, because it has it has that same plot. He wants to meet the girl, but he has the whole dream world, and he has his real world, and then you know, same thing. You you start painting yourself into a corner because you realize at a certain point, okay, I know the tropes of the movie, I know the rules of the movie, and I can now start to see where you're going to get in trouble as you move forward, and then how do you get out of that? Because that's obviously that sort of tension and release with the audience. You want them to feel sort of, you know, uh, uh, along for the ride, smart at times and dumb at others. Yeah. yeah, not to mention the fact that, I mean, Spike Jones, director who won't pass up a good pratfall or gag. And <laughs> one of the things I loved in her is the pratfall is even a really great part. I don't know if you know it, but he's running through the plaza. He's really upset. He's lost her. And he has this spectacular pratfall. And it's like, man, that is a Spike Jones moment, but it is perfectly placed and kind of tragic and touching at that moment. I don't know. I was I was impressed even by that. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not really talking about VFX anymore with that. So no, that's right. So look, uh, <laughs> I think I think regular listeners to the show know that uh, that what they're getting into with the VFX show. And I have to say, I, I, the more I travel, the more people just uh, berate me if we are late in VFX shows. You know, I think people. You know, I mean. I think as long as we stay, I think I've said this to you guys privately, but I'll say that now while everyone's listening. As long as we stay talking about films and don't drift on into, uh, you know, rat holes about what someone had for lunch, then uh, then I always enjoy the discussions. And I think uh, so do our listeners from what they tell me when we're around. Speaking of which, um, I'm going to wrap this up, but uh, just say that we're going to be at SIDGRAF. Uh, if you guys are at SIDGRAF, and obviously a lot of VFX artists that listen to the show are also the sort of VFX artists that would go to SIDGRAF. And you see uh, John, Jeff or I, or I think Jeff may not be going, but John or I hanging around the place, um, please grab us and say hi. We really like hearing from people. Unless we're in the middle of an interview, we just desperately um, love people coming up and just uh, saying hi. Now, I know, Jason, you're not going. Mark, are you going to SIGGRAPH? I'm not. This is the third year in a row that SIGGRAPH has overlapped with family time. Well, the summer. I'm sorry that we won't see you there, but uh, obviously um, uh, you join me in saying that if one's schedule does allow it, it's obviously a great show to go to. Oh, very inspirational. Yeah, um, I miss it when I don't go. So on that score, that's what I'm up to. Uh, Mark, what are you up to at the moment? Where can people follow you and see what you're doing? Oh, okay. Uh, I will continue to cite Twitter, Mark Christensen minus the E between the S and the N at the end. Christian spelled like the religion, Mark with a K. 
And I am creating some courses that are along the lines of what I've done in the past in books. And um, those are going up to lynda.com. And, uh, sorry. uh, Some of them are up and others are coming. And Jason? Uh, Same, the Twitters, Jason Diamond, one word. Uh, The Diamond Bros, a website with my brother. And uh, just we have a bunch of work that we've finished uh, working on the last couple of months that's rolling out slowly. So just uh, we post all that stuff to our feeds so you can check it out there. Didn't you guys just do a pretty cool um, 15-second spot on the dragon? Um, uh, yeah, for Fila, the shoe yeah. company, did a tie-in with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I think in the movie Michelangelo actually wears Fila's. Uh-huh. Because they're because they're all into the '90s, '80s, '90s fashion, so Fila decided to make a shoe, a collaborator, a collab, short run collector's shoe for the movie. So we did a little 15 second spot with some some CG and uh, and my foot. <laughs> Your foot. Did, did yeah. you get to keep the On shoes? Dragon. Uh, I think I have a pair coming. Why? I think there's go? only 300 pairs, so wow. I think they go on sale Friday. It is an entire subculture, um, and we have, we have members of FX PhD professors who are like totally into that subculture, and I am always humbled by the uh, dynamic range of their sneaker collection versus mine, which is basically three pairs. Um, yeah, I think there's a 300 or 3,000, but yeah, it is um, good. So all that kind of stuff they can link to, I guess, from your, uh, from your website. Yep. Brilliant. All right. Well, like, thank you so much, guys, for listening to the show. Uh, as I said, we're off to um, uh, Secret There'll be a lot of coverage coming out. But we're also going to a bunch of VFX houses on the way. And on the way back, we'll be popping into ILM. We will, in fact, be covering, of course, a bunch more films that are just the tail end of the summer blockbusters uh, here on the uh, VFX show. But uh, again, honestly, uh, we get a huge amount of feedback on these shows. And some of the funniest is when we visit facilities and, uh, and people... Um, uh, come up and challenge us. Uh, in fact, one major supervisor at ILM last time I was there was calling me out over something I was saying, and I'm just like standing there going, "Okay, you're like you, and I'm like me, and like whatever you say is right because I would do what you say." <laughs> so uh, we do appreciate you guys uh, listening in and uh, and supporting the show. We do. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on the flip side. I'm Mike Seymour. See have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com copyright 2012 fx guide llc